price differential is fantastic for vapors. Um, if you're looking at switching from smoking, you're going to save a lot of money. It all helps encourage people to switch. Um, but since we left the EU, there hasn't been major changes. But there are uh, one area which the UK has done better than other countries is particularly around actual policy and guidelines rather than law. So we've got in hospitals, we actually have vape shops because some hospitals recognize the fact that this is so much safer and they invited uh, vape shops to be opened. Um, there's still an issue. It's not perfect in the UK. There's no doubt about it. You know, there's still a lot of smokers over 50% in most surveys think that vaping is as dangerous as smoking. Um, the public attitude has been good in the past, but is getting worse. And I'll talk touch on that in a minute. Um, uh, I think what has been fantastic is some of our uh, professors and health scientists have really led the charge on recognizing the role that reduced risk nicotine products can play um they've been doing fantastic research uh our we have a sort of ngo called action on smoking and health and uh it's funded by the government and they sort of advise the government on policy and in comparison to other organizations around the world they have seen the opportunity hello world welcome to the vaping unplugged podcast everything you need to know about vaping and tobacco harm reduction hi everyone my name is lisa i'm community manager of the world vapors alliance and you're listening to the podcast vaping unplugged you can get your podcast on uh, youtube amazon music spotify apple or wherever you get your podcasts um, as you already know, we're discussing vaping policies globally, and today we'll be talking about vaping in the UK. Uh, the UK uh, is known for its, its progressive stance on harm reduction and vaping, and today we have a very special guest, Mark Olds, who is the founder and the director of we Vape, the UK Consumer Advocacy Organization. Mark, thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you very much for having me, Lisa. Absolutely. So we can start with our interview. And I just want to ask before we dive into the legislative background in the UK, if you could tell our listeners about yourself. So how did you become a vapor? How did you become the founder of the Vape Advocacy or consumer organization? What's your journey been like? So I was living and working in China back in 2013. And I was smoking uh, these cigarettes, which are about 50 pence a pack. So, you know, very cheap. Um, I was also living in Beijing most of the time where the smog was pretty bad. So I don't know what was causing me more harm, the smog or the cigarettes. But um, anyhow, I moved back to the UK and I stopped over in Stockholm on my flight. And I bought some, which I thought was chewing tobacco, but it was actually Swedish snooze. I tried chewing tobacco before, thought I'd give it another go, but it was this pouch tobacco. Um, and I thought, this is great. I really enjoyed it. And I brought some back to the UK and con continued to use it. But then obviously that ran out. So I went back to smoking cigarettes. Um, and in many ways, the, because, because Swedish snus is illegal in the UK and it's, it's illegal EU-wide. And so in many ways, that law kept me smoking longer than I would have smoked. Because if Swedish snus had been available, I would have been able to um, quit and switch entirely. Um, and what I would do is I would then purchase Swedish snus when I could get hold of it. Um, the law in the UK around Swedish snus is such that it's illegal to sell it, but to purchase it, it's not illegal. Um, and there is quite a large number of people that purchase it, but it's a very an underground movement. 
anyhow, I would just sort of switch back and forth um, until I then eventually decided to give vaping a go. I, initially, I, I, for some reason, for my sins, I, I was concerned about trying flavors and I would only try tobacco uh, flavor um, vapes and that never really worked for me. But then eventually I, I moved away from that and realized actually there's nothing wrong with using flavors. And it was that moment when I tried flavors, I thought, actually, this is this is better than smoking. This tastes better. This is more more enjoyable. And and that's what made me finally quit. And then now my consumption of nicotine is nicotine pouches, Swedish snooze when I can get hold of it, and vaping. Um, and it very much depends on the situation. So I actually find out and about, I tend to use nicotine pouches quite a lot because you don't need to worry about battery. You don't need to worry about sort of disturbing people. At home, I tend to vape. Um, there you go. Amazing. Um, could you tell us a little bit about We Vape too? Just the fun. Sorry, yes. I, I came back to the UK. I've always been passionate about politics and policy and campaigns. And I came back to the UK and I, I got a job working in the British Parliament, advising a politician and researching. And I um, when snus, when I realized snus was illegal, I thought this is ridiculous. Swedish snus is vastly safer than smoking. It's why Sweden has the uh, lower smoking related illnesses, the second lowest oral cancers. So I sort of started writing about this and I, I was given the freedom by the politician to look into this subject a bit. And um, I ended up uh, starting a thing called the Snooze and Nicotine Pouch Users Association. Um, and from that, I was asked to sort of write for some think tanks about how ridiculous the ban on snooze is. Um, I was very keen to encourage the market to introduce nicotine pouches because they obviously are legal and offer a great opportunity. Um, I was then asked to be a trustee of the New Nicotine Alliance, uh, which was a charity whilst I was a parliamentary researcher um, and uh, was invited to speak. And and then I went away, left parliament, left politics and went to work in Japan for a short while and then came back and COVID happened. And I thought, well, whilst COVID's happening, why don't I, along with some of my friends who are vapors, why don't we sort of work together to set up a very much a vaping focus advocacy group in the UK uh, where we can kind of utilize some innovative and fun political ideas, really. I, I was involved, obviously, in multiple campaigns whilst I was a political researcher. Um, I was involved in the referendum we had over here. I was involved in many elections. And, you know, campaigns are very fun, especially for me, this subject, because it is so important. Uh, 80,000 people a year are dying from smoking. Uh, 7 million people around the globe this is something that is I'm passionate about and I care about. It's not just, you know, working on a subject that you have no interest in. Thank you so much, Mark. Um, just to move on to our discussion about the UK, I know most of our listeners will be vapors and they will already know that the UK has a very progressive approach at the moment. Uh, if you go to NHS website, there will be an information about why vaping is a smoking cessation aid and UK has been progressing on that uh, by far. But could you still tell us and our listeners about um, the general legislative background. So what has been going on in the UK in the past uh, years before we go on talking about the recent announcement that the prime minister made? So just a general legislative background and how has the UK been progressive? progressive right now? So the UK, when it was a member of the European Union, followed the TPD. 
Um, and it was obviously quite integral in, in, in steering the TPD. Uh, and then when we left the EU, what happened is basically every single law we had whilst we were in the European Union was transposed into UK law. So nothing really changed. Um, it just means that future laws the EU make, we can sort of pick and choose. Um, there's not been major changes from the TPD as such, but it, it, that's in terms of the regulation and the law. So we still have like the two mil limit, which is very frustrating. I think it's a bit of a silly policy. Um, that means your tank size can only be two mils. There's a limit to how much you can uh, buy. So you have to buy multiple bottles, which isn't great for the environment. Um, as a general rule, though, that they, they seem to work. Um, we don't have a tax uh, system on, on vapes, so the price differential is fantastic for vapors. Um, if you're looking at switching from smoking, you're going to save a lot of money. It all helps encourage people to switch. Um, but since we left the EU, there hasn't been major changes. But there are uh, one area which the UK has done better than other countries is particularly around actual policy and guidelines rather than law. So we've got in hospitals, we actually have vape shops because some hospitals recognise the fact that this is so much safer and they invited uh, vape shops to be opened. Um, there's still an issue. It's not perfect in the UK. There's no doubt about it. You know, there's still a lot of smokers over 50% in most surveys think that vaping is as dangerous as smoking. Um, the public attitude has been good in the past, but is getting worse. And I'll talk touch on that in a minute. Um, uh, I think what has been fantastic is some of our uh, professors and health scientists have really led the charge on recognizing the role that reduced risk nicotine products can play um they've been doing fantastic research uh our we have a sort of ngo called action on smoking and health and uh it's funded by the government and they sort of advise the government on policy and in comparison to other organizations around the world they have seen the opportunity um i don't think every organization in the uk when vaping first came along felt this way I think it, it, it's amazing and I, I, I'm very pleased that they looked at it with a fresh set of eyes. Um, there were calls originally in the UK to make uh, vaping a prescription-only product. And if it had, if we had done that, then the product itself would be worse. The, ac the access that people could get would be worse, but also um, it would be so much harder to get hold of. And we've seen with, with Australia, when you, when you restrict the safer product more than you restrict the the product that kills two thirds of its users, you end up with less people switching and you also create a huge black market, um, which is particularly of concern because there's no age verification when someone goes to the black market to buy their product. Um, do you want me to go straight into talking about uh, the current situation with disposables? Um well, actually, I wanted to ask you about the announcement that Rishi Sunak made and just a little bit. Let's talk about that since that has happened mm. like two days ago. And I think it's um, very recent. So at the Conservative Party conference, Rishi Sunak announced that he will be fighting smoking further. Um, and the generational ban was confirmed. That means that after 14, uh, like people who are 14, they will never be legally um, mm. able buy cigarettes right so um there has been a mix have been mixed opinions about generational ban and i wanted to ask you like the goal is noble obviously reducing smoking rates is a good thing to do but at the same time what do you think about this type of policy would it be effective what type of implications would it have in your opinion 
Yeah, well, I think firstly, I just want to set out my stall. My ambition, my aim is that we could transition as many as possible uh, of the 1.1 billion smokers globally from combustible cigarettes that kill them onto vastly safer nicotine products. That is what I want. Um, whether or not uh, a ban, a prohibition of tobacco is the right way forward in, in order to get a reduced level of harm is questionable. I think we should question that. We, what, what's going on in the UK is we're banning the legal sale of tobacco. We're not stopping tobacco being sold. No, no government can do that. We know that with prohibition of other products. What we're doing is making it so that it is probably harder to get, so you're not going to be able to walk down to your shop, but it will still be available, especially the situation with the generational um, ban, because you're going to have a situation where literally you can have two twins, one born on the 31st of December and the next one born on the 1st of March, a few minutes apart. And one of those twins is going to be able to legally buy cigarettes for his entire life. The other one won't. Um, you're going to have students at university where their uh, one year won't be able to buy cigarettes. The, the year above will. And I do think that it's going to encourage people to make money uh, selling these products to people that can't legally buy them. Um, we already know there's a there's a ban on things like cannabis in the UK, but quite a lot of people regularly smoke cannabis. I think a million people regularly smoke cannabis and lots of people do it irregularly. Um, so I think first and foremost, let's recognize that banning something legally doesn't actually end it happening. Um, the other flaw is that a criminal market could create more harms for, for users. So we could see, well, no, we will see uh, situations in which because you can't buy products legally, the rights of consumers are vastly reduced. And we see in the criminal world, the criminal markets for drugs, you can't go to the police and tell someone that a deal has gone wrong and people end up with uh, broken legs and there's a lot of deaths. I mean, London has, has a problem with uh, crime related to drugs, stabbings, large numbers of them to do with drugs and gang-related crime. So that worries me. Um, I think that it's something that, would be better to focus on transitioning people to safer products. We're already actually seeing uh, the young people uh, in Britain today not consuming a huge amount of combustible cigarettes. The numbers are actually very small. And that's even in the situation where so many of them don't realise that vaping is safer than smoking. So if we continue to push better messaging, that in my mind would be far superior. I mean, Sweden is an example of a country which has got to smoke free, which is the UK's aim by 2030, without doing any kind of prohibition, but uh, allowing a product which is vastly safer on the market. Um, so I, 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 I'm tinged with sort of worry that this policy could actually increase harm. Um, and I don't know whether it will actually lead to the, the, the massive reduction we hope for. But there's some interesting case studies, South Africa banned tobacco during the uh, covid pandemic and we didn't see a reduction in in use we just saw the entire market shift to the black market now the hope of the government on two, two for two reasons the generational uh, age thing is partly because they they we won't see the immediate effects of prohibition on day one as if they ban it across the board uh, across the board so it'll be a gradual one but it will happen eventually um, and you, it will be small incidences, but every year it will increase and increase. The other reason why they've done it is it's politically uh, much easier 
to ban young people from doing something uh, that shouldn't currently be doing it. Whereas if you ban all the six, seven million smokers in the UK, they will get very frustrated and may vote against an election. Whereas politics, you know, people tend to only, sadly, they focus on themselves rather than maybe the broader issue. Um, yeah, it's 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 not the route that I would take. I, I mean, I'm convinced, and I've spoken to people in public health, that if we took a very positive harm reduction approach, we could end smoking in a couple of years. If we had pack inserts in cigarettes, which told you that vaping, nicotine pouches, heat not burn are safer than smoking, that would add a lot of confidence to, to smokers, um, especially if it came from the chief medical officer. You know, currently we have warnings to smokers with damaged lungs telling you you're going to die if you smoke. I don't think many smokers don't realize that smoking is dangerous. It's just not something that they are currently on this day worried about. It'd be better if we could inform them on those packs. Did you know you can continue to enjoy nicotine, but without risking death? These are sort of policies which would be more positive and um, would prevent some of the drawbacks to prohibition. Right. Thanks, Mark. And you're you're mentioning right now that endorsing harm reduction approach would be something that would actually fight smoking uh, better in that sense. And um, going back to the Conservative Party conference and the announcement that the Prime Minister made, uh, he also mentioned that you will be taking a look at vaping, specifically flavors, packaging. Do you think vaping community in the UK should be concerned about that? Is there a chance that vaping might be under threat? Because flavors actually are a very essential part of a smoking cessation, right? As you mentioned in your story as well, flavors actually work. So that's happening for many smokers who are on their way to quit. What do you think are flavors under threat or vaping generally in the UK? Could that be possible? Yeah, I mean, so the news has been talking a lot about banning disposables. And I was at my stall out quite, I personally try and avoid using disposables at all costs. I don't particularly like disposables. I don't like the fact that it's a one-time use product. Um, but now and again, you're in a situation whereby you might be out and about and you've run out of uh, battery on your vape and you pop down to a shop and a disposable is something that you would buy. Um, the alternative in terms of... The, uh, ease of access would be a pack of cigarettes. Uh, packs of cigarettes are disposable. Um, you don't need to recharge packs of cigarettes. And that's why disposables have been quite useful. The figures on disposables are quite interesting. I read a, some banking reports um, and they showed in January a year-on-year -year decline of smoking sales cigarette packs about 13.4%, if I remember correctly, and rolling tobacco around 184 that is a huge decline, and that is mainly due to disposables. So it, it, they are having an effect. The question is, how do you, in terms of disposable, how do you let it have the effect of reducing the harm and reducing smoking rates, whilst also managing some of the problems that have been raised by them? So one of the problems is the environment. Uh, I don't like, and I know a lot of vapors don't like seeing disposables discarded on the street. And having maybe a deposit return scheme would be much better than an outright ban. You could put one, maybe two pounds of a deposit on a, on a vape, uh, disposable vape, and once you've used it, you take it back to the shop and you get your money back. And I think overnight, these deposit return schemes have, have been very successful in other products. 
we would see the litter and the fact these products aren't being recycled drop to a very, very, very low level. So that's on disposables. Now, so the government have been talking about it or the newspapers have been talking about banning disposables, but I think the government are reticent to do that because they're aware of the role they're playing in reducing smoking rates. Action on smoking and health have talked about how they, they, they don't think they should be banned, that they've done a good job of reducing smoking rates. So I think, that, I think they're reticent. Now, I understand in the cabinet You've got some members of the cabinet that are in a moral panic. They want to just ban these things. They've seen youth use and um, they're not getting their way in cabinet. So they're briefing the media to try and encourage the media um, to almost lobby the government uh, for them. Uh, sometimes in politics, people do that. They, they tell the media what they want because they're not getting what they want in government and then hopefully try and encourage, force the hand of the government. Because especially if something's already been announced in the media, uh, the government can feel a bit awkward if they're not doing what apparently they've announced. But there's no official announcement. Um, in terms of youth access, that's really important. I think no vapor wants to see young people vaping when they shouldn't. Now, firstly, quick reality check. I started smoking way before it was legal to smoke cigarettes. Um, and that doesn't make it right, but it is just a matter of fact. So... Ultimately, if I'd never started smoking, I'd be for the better. And if I'd vaped instead, that would be better. But we do have laws which say you can't vape under 18. And we should try and prevent that happening, especially because um, it's causing disruption in school. But the answer is not banning adults using a product because teenagers are using something illegally. The answer is to have better regulation in this area. So Currently, there's no licensing system. If you sell vapes, we could introduce a licensing system. Sorry, licensing system. Maybe a hundred pounds for a shop, or two hundred pounds for a shop that wants to sell vapes. That would give millions of pounds to what we have in the UK trading standards, whose job it is to enforce the law around consumer sales sold products. And with alcohol, we do a thing called Challenge Twenty Five, whereby um, people go and test shops to see whether they're selling to someone that looks under the age of 18 without asking for ID. And if you fail that, you can be fined and you can actually be closed down. We should have the same thing when it comes to vapes. Um, so th that, that's the answer, um, not banning adults uh, because some people are using the product illegally. And actually, the fact that these young people are getting hold of this product illegally shows how prohibition doesn't work and, and shows how maybe the, the same thing could happen with cigarettes. And it shows how, um, you know, especially Australia is a great example. They're banned, um, but they've got a huge black market for disposable vapes. And so my worry is, first and foremost, that um, we're just going to see an underground market for disposable vapes. My other worry is that what defines a disposable vape? You know, if you put a charger in it, is it then no longer a disposable vape? In which case, if everyone, you know, the Chinese companies making them put a three pence charger in, does that mean that then the government's going to say, oh, we need to ban uh, vapes that also are rechargeable. Now, to talk a little bit more specifically about what uh, Rishi Sunak said, we were expecting him to say potentially that disposable vapes would be banned. So he didn't say that. What he said was similar to what's been said before, that they're going to look into, consult, um, try and understand what they can do to reduce youth access. Now, I've already mentioned what I think the answer is, which is cracking down on illegal sales the suggestions are colors and flavors now as you said i 
flavors were one of the reasons why I managed to quit smoking entirely. So removing flavors, I think, would be incredibly flawed. Adults like flavors. You know, I vape cola, I vape donut, I vape watermelon. Um, they're not just for kids. Um, and when you look at the alcohol market, there's flavors across the board. So are they for are they for kids? No, no, no. flavors are for adults. Um, and what, what what are we suggesting? Are we going to suggest that because and we do have in the UK a big problem with teenage drinking? Um, what would we do about that? We're going to ban all flavored alcohol for for everyone. I mean, we're we just going to the only alcoholic drink you can have in the UK is methylated spirits. Um, it would probably be boring. So no, I, I don't think that's the answer. Flavors are for everyone. Flavors are helping reduce harm. Flavors are helping people stay off cigarettes because you really want a product that's as far removed from tobacco smoke as possible. And I know a lot of vapors who've said to me, they got into vaping, they got into flavors and they went back and tried a cigarette and they thought, oh, this is not enjoyable. This is disgusting. So that kept them off it. So I'm hopeful that the UK government will be rational. Now, does that mean vapors can just sit at home, put their feet up and vape and not care about this issue? No, they should make sure their voice is heard. They should make sure that they contact their MP. Um, the We Vape website can help you do that. The uh, My campaign around COP10, which is the international meeting, as, as you're aware, I know, um, the World Health Organization doing in November, you can click on the back Vaping Save Lives website and you can contact your MP and just inform them about how smoking helped you and helped you get off cigarettes. So no, absolutely not a time to sit down. And if I can use an example, uh, we've all seen Extinction Rebellion and other, Just Stop Oil and all these other groups um, being very difficult. And even when the government has said, we're going to ban cars by this date, we're going to be net zero by that date, they don't stop. They want more. They want more and more and more. So You've got to protect yourself. You've got to get on the front foot. And the risk is, and because I, I know a lot of vapors don't like disposables, the risk is they start with disposables, then they move to you know pod systems. That doesn't work. That doesn't work. And then before you know it, um, they're banning vaping entirely and, and also banning flavors. So no, let's not um, rest on our laurels. Right. And I would say that's the same story in uh, in many countries, like the pattern of how things are getting regulated and then restricted more and more. It's very similar. So uh, you already mentioned about your campaigns and what vapors could do in the UK just to um, keep their uh, raising their voices. Yeah, and what, just as a final question, if you have any um, advice, what would be your message to vaping community globally? Because right now it's an important period of time. We're waiting for some more WHO's recommendations and probably there is a, um, a necessity for vapors to be very cautious and uh, keep raising their voices. Would you, would you have any uh, final kind of message for the vaping community globally? Yeah, I would say be very wary of selling part of your community down the water. Um, governments like to salami slice. You know, if they can just, oh, we'll start off by just, we won't ban all flavors, but we'll ban some, or we won't ban all vapes, we'll ban disposables. But they start there and then they move on to the next one. They don't like taking on a whole group. They don't like taking on all the vapors in the UK, but if they can take on a small subset, but be wary because they'll move on to your group. Um and that's part of the generational ban on cigarettes is part of that. You know, a small group, they haven't got a voice, they shouldn't be smoking anyway, ban them and then steadily increase it. You know, I can't imagine there's many 14-year-olds who are a group and under that are going to be 
are complaining about their freedom. I've got a new baby. I mean, he's not going to be able to stand up for himself and say, hang on, I want the liberty to be able to do what someone a year older than me can do. Um, and, you know, the fact that he could join the military and fight for his country at 18, he can vote at 18, but he can't make a decision on whether he can smoke or not is for me deeply worrying. And I don't want him to smoke. Absolutely not. There's no doubt about it. But um, to, to remove someone's liberty to do that and create a more harmful environment, I think is, is a shame. Um, in terms of vaping and, you know, politics and campaigning, I think it's worth just reminding everyone that we are in the right. Our goal to see a reduction in the smoking rate globally and an end to some of the harms, we are going to be on the right side of history. Um, those that wish to just continually try and tell people, no, don't do anything, go, go cold turkey, stop using nicotine, um, end what you're doing or you will die, will turn out to be wrong because nicotine use isn't going away. And nicotine in itself has a same similar risk profile to caffeine. And no society that I've read about has ever managed to get rid of nicotine consumption entirely. They've only switched people from a harmful form of nicotine consumption to a vastly, vastly safer, such as Sweden. So we've got to make sure we get that message across. Um, there's many instances in history where similar things have been attempted. So, you know, sex is, a, is an example I like to use because I think everyone does it and can understand it. Whereas with smoking, often people think, oh, it's just a small minority and it's their fault for doing it. Um, throughout history, people have called for uh, people not to have sex. Um, in the 1980s, when the HIV epidemic was going on, people were saying, well, you should just stop having sex. It doesn't work. Human nature is such that we are going to seek out pleasure and enjoy things. Um, and the answer we've, we found with HIV is to educate and inform people that you can con continue doing what you want to do. You're not a sinner. There's nothing wrong with you. But you, if you, you could do it in a safer way, such as condoms, or when it's specifically on PrEP, there's a, a sort of specifically on HIV, there's a drug called PrEP, which people can take once a day, and it prevents the transmission of HIV. And that's seen a sort of 50% year-on-year reduction in um, HIV rates in, in London. So it's exactly the same. Um, and the sad fact is that it, others don't, don't judge it in the same way. Uh, I look at international development and you've got HIV, malaria and poverty. The deaths from that are actually less per year than the deaths from smoking. But the focus British government that I know spends a lot of money trying to help on those causes, but it completely ignores um, smoking, which is a great shame because actually we can have a huge impact there. We shouldn't stop doing what we're doing on those other issues, but we should potentially look at this low-hanging fruit. And just quickly on that subject, um, nicotine pouches are a great opportunity because of the price to produce. Um, in low- and middle-income countries, the price of a vape is much more expensive than cigarettes. But when it comes to nicotine pouches, they can actually get to a similar price level. So the, the, the decisions that countries like the, uh, the UK and the EU make will have a huge long-term effect on the number of people dying in particularly those lower middle-income countries, let alone their own countries. So the EU has been talking about potentially banning nicotine pouches, which is madness because nicotine pouches, same similar level or same level of risk of say a nicotine patch or nicotine gum. It's complete madness. 
Um, but the effect, if the EU does that, will mean that it will give uh, encouragement to countries in, in the lower and middle income zone. Uh, they will encourage to ban it themselves. And then the answer for those countries will just entirely disappear because vapes, I'm afraid, I don't think they're going to quite cut it because of the price. So some of these decisions, we're talking about a huge number of people's lives affected. Um, and it's incredibly frustrating to try and get that message across and inform these leaders that the decisions you make could lead to millions of deaths. Um, so what I would say finally to those vapors is be passionate, know you're in the right. We're, we're under attack in a lot of areas. People don't understand us. People think we should just not use any products at all. The irony of which they're consuming alcohol, they're consuming coffee is lost on them. But just keep that strength and keep on making sure your voice is heard. You know, keep on uh, tweeting, keep on uh, messaging on Facebook, keep on trying to persuade your friends and family um, that this is the right route to reduce those harms. Thank you very much, uh, Mark, for time today and for your encouragement, for the work that you do and for a great insight what's happening in the UK. I also want to thank everyone who listened to us today. Uh, we will be back next week with a new episode. So, so stay tuned for that. And also, obviously, vape on. Thank you very much, Mark, again. Thank you, Lisa.